Well, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and this morning we shall be reading verses 1 to 21. You can either follow with me as I read it, or just sit and listen. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1, let us hear God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. (coughs) What greater thing is there than that God should become 
man. What greater thing is there than that God should become man? So wrote a theologian called John of Damascus, who lived in the 7th and 8th centuries. That God should become man truly is the greatest ever miracle. And this is the miracle that we celebrate today and indeed every day of the year. We celebrate and we worship the coming into this world 2,000 or so years ago of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, as the Bible also says, the Word made flesh, the God-man, one person with a divine nature and a human nature. This is what, this is who we celebrate today. And this morning I want to spend just a little bit of time looking at this passage in the Gospel of Luke that we've just read, which records the birth of Jesus Christ. And my hope is that by giving it just just a little bit of consideration, we, sh- we shall all see something more of the greatness of this greatest ever miracle, the miracle of the incarnation of God becoming man. And here in Luke chapter 2, we see two main truths being highlighted by the birth of Jesus, which we shall look at in turn, and then I shall close with a, a very brief point of application. The first truth that we see is this, that Jesus' birth highlights God's absolute sovereignty. That's the first truth that this passage records. Jesus' birth highlights God's absolute sovereignty. We read in the first three verses that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, there should be a census. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Caesar Augustus is the mighty Roman emperor at this particular time in history, and he, as the most powerful man in the world, has issued a decree, an edict, that everyone, everyone within the Roman Empire, everyone in, in that world, which was a large world, everyone needs to be registered, presumably for taxation purposes. And this imperial edict would have led to a a mass movement of peoples across the Roman world as as they returned to their various ancestral homes in order to be registered. And among these, no doubt, many millions of people on the move, Luke here homes in on one particular family who would have been unnoticed pretty much by everyone else. The family of Joseph and Mary together with their unborn child. And we read in verses 4 and 5 that Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, which is in the north of Palestine, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which is in the south because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So they've traveled many miles from Nazareth in Galilee in the north right down to the south to the city of of Bethlehem. And it's while they are there in Bethlehem 
that their child, Jesus, is born. Born, as Luke tells us, in a stable. And then wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger, a drinking or a feeding trough for the animals. These are the facts of Jesus' birth. Born of Mary, the virgin. Born in Bethlehem. Born in a stable. These are the facts of Jesus' birth, as Luke records them for us. But what we need to understand this morning is the reason behind these facts. In other words, what accounts for these historical events, these historical facts. Now, of course, the obvious answer is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because of the decree of Caesar Augustus, the mighty Roman emperor. That decree meant that Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem in order to be registered. And then the obvious reason why Jesus was born in a stable is because, as Luke says, there was no room for them in the inn. But what we need to understand this morning is that behind these obvious surface level causes lies a much deeper and a much profounder cause and reason. Why was Jesus born of Mary, this young virgin? Why was he born in Bethlehem? Why was he born in a stable, the ultimate reason is this, because that was God's will. That was God's purpose. It was God's will that these things should be so. Yes, it was by the decree of Caesar Augustus that Joseph and Mary journeyed to Bethlehem. That's true. But behind Caesar's decree was the sovereign decree of the sovereign God who really is in charge of the whole world. For God had decreed in eternity, before the creation of this world, God had decreed in eternity that the ruler of his people, their promised Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And he had made this very clear. He'd made this very clear through his prophet Micah, who lived around about 700 years before Jesus was actually born. Micah chapter 5 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Very clear. The ruler of God's people, their promised Messiah, Their long-hoped-for king would come from Bethlehem, would be born in Bethlehem. That was God's decree. That was God's purpose. That was God's will. And so it had to be. It had to be. Because God's decree is always done. It never, never fails. In other words, the determining cause... The ultimate determining cause behind Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem was not 
Caesar Augustus's decree that the whole world should be registered. Rather, the ultimate determining cause behind Joseph and Mary's journey down to Bethlehem was that it was God's plan, God's decree for his ancient promise to be fulfilled now at this particular point in history. And the priority, the preeminence of God's will is actually made very clear in this passage by Luke in verse 6. There we read that while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth which could more literally be translated as the days were fulfilled. The days were fulfilled for Mary to give birth. The days were fulfilled not simply of Mary's pregnancy. The days were fulfilled, and this is what Luke wants us to understand, the days were fulfilled of the whole grand sweep of covenant history. From the very beginning of the world, from the time man fell into sin, God had promised that he was going to send a son. God had promised that he was going to send a seed, an offspring, a child of the woman who would be the saviour of his people, who would be the one that would defeat Satan, the great enemy of the world. That was God's ancient promise and now, At this particular point in history, the time had come according to God's will for that ancient promise to be fulfilled. Now, at this specific moment, God's will for his eternal decree to be actualized in the realm of space-time history had had come to pass. Now the promised son was ready to come according to God's eternal purpose. As the Apostle Paul puts it elsewhere in the Bible, when the fullness of time had come, in other words, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. The simple point is this, that Jesus' birth happened exactly according to God's timetable. It didn't happen according to Caesar's timetable, nor did it happen according to Joseph and Mary's timetable. Jesus' birth happened exactly according to God's timetable in God's own perfect timing Jesus his son was born into this world and just as it was God's sovereign will for Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary and for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem so also it was God's sovereign will for Jesus to be born in a stable and we'll see why in a moment but before we move on please just take this to heart Jesus was born in exactly the right way At exactly the right time, in exactly the right place. Because he was born in accordance with God's absolute, perfect sovereignty. Behind all of the events, all of the historical events 
of Jesus' birth, not to mention his subsequent life and his death and his resurrection. Behind all of those events lay the sovereign hand of the sovereign God, the sovereign will of Jesus' sovereign Father. And behind all of the events of your life lies the sovereign hand of the sovereign God. Nothing ever happens to you by chance. Nothing ever happens in this world by chance. Nothing. All takes place according to the sovereign will of the sovereign God who reigns high over all. And this is good news. This is not something to be frightened of. This, brothers and sisters, is very, very good news. Because as we go on to see, this sovereign God who rules over all things, who has ordained whatsoever comes to pass, is also altogether good. Altogether good. Which brings me to my second point, that Jesus' birth highlights God's amazing grace. It highlights God's absolute sovereignty. And in the second place, Jesus' birth highlights God's amazing grace. Now in verse 8, Luke introduces us to some shepherds. And these shepherds, they're out in the field, they're watching over their flock. When, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. Now, shepherds, they were not weak pansies. Shepherds were very, very tough men. Shepherds were very, very brave men. They probably had bulging muscles. Because, you see, shepherds had to protect their sheep from wolves. Sometimes they would have to fight off wolves. To protect their sheep. These were very, very tough men. But these very, very tough men are absolutely terrified by the sight of this angel. They are filled with fear. Such is the overpowering glory of the Lord that envelops them. To be in the presence of God is, in one very real sense, a fearful thing. A terrifying thing. Because God is so much greater. So much higher so much more powerful than anything in this world. To have his glory shine around you is a terrifying experience, as we see from the reaction of these shepherds. But then, these fearful, terrified shepherds hear the angel's wonderful words. Verse 10, fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Fear not. Don't be afraid of the shining glory of the Lord because it is a shining glory that speaks good news. A shining glory that speaks grace to sinners. A shining glory that proclaims good news that will be be great joy, that will bring great joy for all people. And what is this good news? It's the good news that a saviour has come. 
A saviour has been born. A saviour has entered into this sinful, fallen, broken world. A saviour has come who is going to make things right. This, this, this promised king, promised Davidic king, this promised saviour of sinners, this long-awaited-for Christ, who is Lord of all, he, the angels, or the angel announces, he has finally come. Of course, it's always good news when a child is born, isn't it? It's always good news when you hear of the birth of a child. How good, then, must it be to hear the good news of a child who is born as the saviour? the saviour of the world, the saviour of sinners. And how inexpressibly great must it be to hear the good news that such a child has been born in order to be not just a saviour of people in general, but to be your saviour. How good must it be to hear the good news that a child has been born in order to save you, Not just them out there, but you. And this is the good news that the shepherds hear. As the angel proclaims to them in verse 12, this will be a sign for you. For you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Actually, back in verse 11, the shepherds had already been told, unto you is born this day a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Normally when a child is born, the announcement goes out, so-and-so has been born too, and then the names of the parents are given. Here the announcement of Jesus' birth comes with the words, unto you is born, for you, for your sake is born this day a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And now they are told, here is a sign for you. In other words, here is a sign that this child really has come for you, that he really has come to save you and people like you. And what is this sign? It's that they'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, how was this a sign to the shepherds that Jesus had come for them? Well, shepherds were poor men. And when they had a child, none of them would have been able to afford room in the inn. Most of them, if not all of them, would have had children born in stables, in dark, smelly stables. Most of them, if not all of them, would have wrapped their newborn children in swaddling cloths and then laid them in the feeding trough for the animals, the manger. And so when these shepherds see this particular child who has been born a saviour, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger in the stable, they will all know this child has come for us. They will all be able to say, truly, this is a saviour for me. Not just for the mass of people out there, not just for the rich, the wealthy, the powerful, the influential, this is a saviour for me. A saviour who identifies with me, who knows me, who is one with me. Here is a saviour who, although great King David's greater son, 
has yet humbled himself to the very depths and made himself of no repute in order to save a sinner like me. And you, brothers and sisters, you can say the very same thing this morning. As a believer, you can say unto me, unto me, a saviour has been born. Jesus came into this world for me. You see, the grace of God is particular. The grace of God is personal. God, in his grace, saves particular sinful persons. Not just humanity in the mass, but particular human beings. Because as you know, this child who was laid in a wooden manger and was wrapped in swaddling cloths would one day grow up to be a man who was nailed to a wooden cross and whose body was then laid in a tomb and wrapped in cloths. In so many ways, you see, Jesus' birth anticipates Jesus' death. Jesus' birth as his death was marked by poverty, by lowliness, by humility. But it was in this way, by God becoming man, And by humbling himself to the very depths, it was in this way and no other way that Jesus saved those like you and me who by nature are poor, weak, lowly sinners. How great is the grace of our sovereign Lord. What greater thing is there than that God should become man. I might only add to that great statement of John of Damascus, what greater thing is there than that God should become man in order to save sinful man? So to close, how do you respond to this greatest of miracles? That's the question for you this morning, whoever you are, whether you're a Christian or not, whether this is your first time in church or your thousandth time in church, how do you respond to this greatest of miracles? Of course, we see various responses in our passage. We see the shepherds going in haste to see Jesus. And then we see them telling everyone the news that they have heard. And we see Mary treasuring up all that she's heard, pondering it in her heart. These are all the sorts of responses that, that we should have to this great miracle of God becoming man. But above all else, we should respond to this greatest of miracles by praising the one who is this greatest miracle, the God-man, Jesus Christ. After all, this is what the angels in heaven do and are doing at this very moment, crying out, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. This is what the angels in heaven are doing. This is what 
We see the shepherds doing, verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. These, these shepherds were once filled with fear, but now a new note has entered into their lives, a gospel note, a note of good news from heaven above, a note of grace has entered their lives. The Saviour has come for us. Hallelujah. Are you praising God this morning? For me, this is the surest sign that you are a Christian. That you praise God. That you want to praise God. For the great love that he has shown to you by sending you the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not praising God, if you're not praising the Lord Jesus, then... I would question whether you are a Christian. And you see, it's in receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ that praise then flows from your hearts. This is what the Saviour does to you. You see, he wasn't just given for you. He does something to you. He turns you into a worshipper of the living God. And he makes you cry out with all the angels in heaven. Glory to God in the highest. Amen.